We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Gold. I'm joined today by the one and only Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Oh, I'm living life, man. But these Pacers, just, I have a couple questions about this season, and I'm looking forward to getting some answers, which I thought is a kind of a, a good segment for, uh, tell everybody what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I mean, nice nice way to lead us in there, Faji. So we were going back and forth thinking about what is something we could do that would be a good topic for the podcast. And so we thought, hmm, what about some questions for this Pacers team heading into the season? Things we're going to keep an eye on while the season is going on and while everything is playing out. So we both came up with three different questions. So I guess it's a total of six questions, but you're going to get three from each of us. So I, I don't know if there's anything else we need to say. I think we should just jump right into it. Let's do it. Okay. Hit me with your first question. All right. I'll go first. Now, my first question, it's a, it's a pretty big question. I'm not going to lie. And uh, this is really going to be um, based on how the Pacers season's going. But it's, will they be buyers or will they be sellers at the deadline? Because, look, if things are going south, the Pacers have a lot they could sell off. Or if things are going well, they have the flexibility and the contracts to be buyers and push forward. When last year we saw this, this was a team that if they really did want to put all their chips in, they probably could have been a, a play-in team. But that, that's not what they wanted. And this year, some of those names that I mentioned, Buddy Heald, unrestricted. Jordan War, unrestricted. Tice, essentially an unrestricted, essentially an expiring deal. Uh, and then you got... Your your TJ McConnell is kind of on the outside looking in, or an Aaron Neesmith and Obi Toppin entering restricted free agency. You got Bruce Brown and that amazing twenty two point five million dollar team option. So there is a lot of uh, wiggle room here if the Pacers want to be buyers or sellers, but we just don't know which one it'll be. 
Yeah, and I think at this point it's just, you know, you're you're hoping not, but I just don't know how much of sellers are gonna be because what do they have to sell? I mean, the veterans that are expiring, I guess that's about it, because you're not selling any of your young players. So no, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Pacers, in my opinion, should be buyers regardless <laughs> of be. what their record is. I, I just feel like they've got the they've got the pieces and they've got the draft capital to make the the big trade. So for them to be sellers, I mean, yeah, it could make a little bit of sense if it's going to get them more draft capital to make an even bigger trade than what they could get now with what they have. But I don't know. I just I just feel like no matter where they're at, it feels like they're more than likely going to be buyers based on that. You know, Chad Buchanan's conversation with us talking about we have to keep adding the best talent possible. So. Either way, though, I think that we're going to be in a good spot to have a lot of flexibility trade-wise, especially come the deadline, because I think there's going to be a chance they could go either way. I think so. And now you got to see that, hey, if this team isn't how people maybe thought, a guy like Buddy Heald, I mean, does it really make sense to ride it out to the end of the year? So he could be one of the players that they could look to sell on. Um, but if things are looking good and the Pacers are going to be a playoff team, even if they're not going to keep Buddy Heald, I think it would be important to still be that playoff team. So maybe they would elect to say, hey, you know what? Let's at least ride this out through the year and then discuss in the offseason because I think it is important to get those meaningful games in for this young core. I just hope I'm with you where we're buyers regardless because mm-hmm. we want to see this team win. Absolutely. So I'm going to move on to my first question here, and I think this one's kind of a big deal <laughs> because I'm just curious. We saw last year how things played out with the rookie Benedict Matherin. And we knew at times he was on a very short leash with Rick Carlisle. And Carlisle was not afraid to pull him when he needed to. Now, obviously, when there's a lot of injuries, he would let him play through some mistakes. But I'm curious, how short will Rick Carlisle's leash be for Matherin this season? And I tell you what, I'm not overly concerned about Afachi because I think there's enough. We talked about this in the last podcast or the last episode. I definitely think there's enough talent at that position that if he does have a shorter leash, they're still going to be productive. But is that what's best for Benedict Matherin? And will Rick Carlisle kind of jump the gun a little bit in terms of like allowing him to make mistakes and develop to try and win games to really kind of appease the entire roster and probably the franchise because I'm sure they're ready to get back into the playoffs. But I do think that Benedict Matherin, like how he comes into this season, like, he could be the difference maker from us being like an eighth or ninth seed to maybe us being a five or six seed. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's why I'm just like, okay, if he has these games or he's kind of struggling a little bit, how tight or how short will that leash be with Rick Carlisle? Because we know Carlisle is kind of a no-nonsense guy and he coaches Matherin hard. Just curious how much freedom he's going to allow him to develop and continue to to grow while he might be struggling a little bit. That is a great question because now that things have changed, the expectations have changed, the roster is deeper. It does feel like there's going to be, you would think, less of a leash because there's talented players that that at any point, hey, you could roll Bruce Brown at at that point. Maybe you you roll with Buddy Heald who just has it a little bit more offensively and you're saying, you know what, defensively it's close enough. Let's just go with the guy who's got the hot hand or anything of the sort. Oh, Aaron Neesmith has been awesome down the stretch, you know, let, let's let's roll with Neesmith. That's the thing. It's like, Matherin, in year two, hey, you're not a rookie anymore. Mm-hmm. I do think that 
there was a couple of times last year in specific where I remember it was like, I think maybe one against the Lakers or whatever it was, you know, that, that infamous 13 minute game. And there was another 20 minute uh, appearance from Mathurin where everyone was like, whoa, he's got to play more minutes than that. Not if we're going for the playoffs and he's not all in on the defensive side of things. So I do think the leash could be a little bit shorter this year, but I really hope it isn't because I think we all want to see Matherin develop into who we hope he could be. And if he does, that's when, you know, the Pacers are going to have that great season that you talked about. No, I totally agree. And it's one of those things where I'm kind of excited to see how Carlisle handles Matherin this year. And I'm, I'm curious to see how Matherin responds because there was a video that went out over the weekend. I think it was yep. a Benedict Matherin highlight video. And I know you quote tweeted it. Everyone was like, man, I'm really excited to see what he can do. Like break out your sophomore season. It's like, yeah, he was shooting a lot in the mid range. And I'm kind of curious, like that kind of like led me to think, okay, well, Carlisle let him be a little bit more free to shoot those shots because, you know, we've seen him get to the basket and we know that Carlisle really likes some shooting three pointers, but if Matherin is like really good in the mid range, is Carlisle going to allow him to do that? And I would love for Carlisle to be like, yeah, I want to, I want you to have that game in you because when it comes to the playoffs, you got to have that mid range just to you have, have to. a different verse. Uh, you have to have uh versatility with your offense and having some diversity with your offense is really big. Like you need a guy to get you to the bucket. Well, if Matherin can do that, then that'd be great. But I don't want it to be where we're stuck in this situation. Like, we always go back to with Chris Duarte calling the mid-range jail. I just think that that's, to me, I hate that about today's NBA a little I bit. I hate it. It's like we completely just erase what was once so, you know, part of such a, such a big part of the game. And now it's like you got guys that are going for layups or they're even driving to the basket, could easily put up a good layup shot and they kick it out for a wide open three because it's a higher percentage based on analytics. So it's like, I'm just kind of curious. There's a lot of different things that are going into my thinking here, Fachi, but I'm I'm just kind of curious to see how this all plays out. Yeah, play to your players' strengths. I mean, some of the most elite players of all time have been really good mid-range players between your your MJs. I mean, your Kobe's and Kevin Durant. I mean, you talk about having needing a mid-range jumper in the playoffs. You think of Jimmy Butler. Like, Jimmy Butler's lethal with that mid-range jumper, and obviously Matherin has a long way to go to uh, – even be mentioned in the same breath as any of those guys, but play to your player's strengths. And that kind of leads me into my next question is, can Matherin take the next step in regards to what is best for the team rather than what may be best for him? Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. You talked about it, and everybody knows it. This man can get to the hoop. He can get to the rim, or he can get to the free throw line at an impressive rate. No doubt about it. But can he be more than just like a bull in a china shop, just kind of running towards the rim, not really looking at others? And it's if he can do more than just that, I think the Pacers have a, a chance to achieve team success. But this game isn't just played on one side of the ball. It's mm-hmm. can he buy into defense for four quarters, not going hard for one quarter and about a half of a second one. It's no. You need to buy in effort-wise, and I don't need him, and we're not asking him to be an all-defensive player. Not asking that, not expecting that. But can you just buy in with nonstop effort? Because there is enough competition that we mentioned on this team where if you're not buying in and we catch you kind of lagging a bit on on switches or anything of the sort, it's it's just maybe not expecting. We've seen him kind of almost like, you don't want to say like frozen at times or reacting late, but it's like there's guys that are a little bit more known for defense in a Bruce Brown, Andrew Nembhardt, 
and Aaron Neesmith, guys that could be chomping for his minutes. So I want to see him buy in more on the defensive side. I want to see him do more than just kind of driving straight down to the hoop because you talked about that mid-range jumper. Look, I don't know if he'll be allowed to shoot it. If that's to, to his strength, great. But that three-point shot, it's been there before, and it'll be there again because some may have forgotten. Matherin shot 40% from three through October and November. Yeah. He did the math after that. He shot 27% from three. From exactly. December to March. So it, it kind of yeah. fell off a, a cliff. But in college, two years in Arizona, cumulatively a 38% three-point shooter. So I do think that he can be more efficient. And while we want him to kind of look for others, let's take what we can get at times. I don't think he's going to be a three to five assists per game guy, but just situational basketball. Take a look to see who else is around you. But you get, the effort's got to be there defensively, I'd say, is probably the most important part there there's no doubt in my mind that the reason we both put Matherin down for a question is because it's kind of a make or break year for him in terms of like how far the Pacers go and I know I've said that a few times but I really do think that his success this year is what's going to be um him having a successful season is going to indicate how far this team goes I, I'm really he's curious. that talented that yeah, is I why. mean because we saw last year, like the guy was putting up 16 points a game with a bad three point shot for the majority of the mm-hmm. season. So, dudes like that that can get to the free throw line at that rate are special. They they have a special gift. Now, like you said, he's got to expand upon that game. And that three point shot, it was there the first month and a half of the season. And I'm not sure what led to him struggling from the three point line, but even in the summer league, he didn't look good from three point line. So, I don't know if it's a mental thing with him now. He just started missing a bunch and like just couldn't get out of his head mentally. But he's also so effective at getting to the basket that he doesn't necessarily need to settle for threes. But I do think that if he made a few tweaks to his shot, that could help with it. And I'll be curious to see if he's been working with somebody or if Jenny Busex has been working with him. Like she worked with TJ McConnell to kind of improve his shot. And we saw how much that helped impact TJ McConnell. So I'm really curious to see if he can you know, add that part back to his game from the beginning of the season, because I think that that just opens up even more for him if he can really shoot that at a high clip. So Matherin is such a pivotal part of this team's success this year that there's a reason why we are really glued in on what he does in year two, because I remember, you know, when, when the Pacers drafted him, like there was kind of like some rumblings that, they feel like this is their Anthony Edwards of the Eastern Conference. And Anthony like Edwards it. looks like a, a man amongst boys out there playing mm-hmm. for Team USA. There was like an and one that he had, I remember, on Saturday, like one of the first ones that I – in the first quarter. And he just used grown man strength to get through, and he was just flexing and looking at the guy. And it's like, okay, can Matherin get to that point? I think he can, but it's going to take a lot of too. work. I don't know if he's ever going to be as good as Anthony Edwards because we talked yeah. about that too. But I'm saying he's got – some of those same traits mm-hmm. in his game that he can really develop into something special. So I'm really curious to see what he does. Yeah, no, I really am. Look, Anthony Edwards is uh, superstar-esque, and I feel like Matherin could be all-star-esque. But yeah. talking about the three-point shot in specific, he shot 32.3% last year. We don't need him to all of a sudden become a 38% shooter, but can he be 35%? Can, can yeah. you show Im- improvement? And increasing your three-point percentage by about 3%, 
is really good in the NBA, you know, considering if you're not like a horrific shooter. So I, I feel like at that point, if he's a pretty average three-point shooter at 35%, the defense will have to respect that shot. We saw as confident as he is, it felt like there was a time last year where he didn't love his three-point shot, and you could see him kind of passing it up and looking for, you know, looking for for another look at, at the hoop or anything like that when the beginning of the year, when that ball was going in from three, it was like, hey, he would let it loose. So I'm looking forward to seeing that improvement for sure. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Absolutely. So I'm going to move on to my second question. And it's we're still talking about player development. And it's kind of funny to say this about this guy, but can Miles Turner take another step in his career, Fachi? I think that last year we saw him jump huge, have a huge jump in points, going from 12.9 points per game the previous year to 18 points last year. Honestly, I really enjoyed the season that we saw from Miles Turner. He had some great moments, and I'm just curious. That was a contract year. Can he continue to do that and maybe solidify himself as the second best player on this roster? Because at this point, yeah, you want him to be Matherin, but I don't know if he's going to be there in year two. I don't think he's going to be as well-rounded as Turner is overall. And if Turner's your second best player, previous years you would say, well, that team's going to be okay, but they're not going to be great, right? So to me, it's like, can Turner take another step? Does he get to 20 points a game? Can he get to double-digit rebounds? Can he continue to be the force that he is down low blocking shots? But more so, can he make an all-defensive team? Stuff like that. I just wonder, can Turner take another step in his career this upcoming season? Because Miles still has a lot to prove, in my opinion. He still seems very, like, not bitter, but, you know, he has a chip on his shoulder to kind of prove to everybody that he belongs and he's in that upper echelon. Like, the disrespect that he's felt from the defensive side of things, like not making an all-defensive team his entire career is kind of shocking seeing that he's led the league in blocks for a couple of those years. I just think that Turner has a ton more to prove. He's only 27 years old. He's going to be in a contract year in a few years. So I I just feel like this is a great opportunity for Miles to showcase once again why he's a great fit next to Halliburton and how he can be a starting center that's one of your top players on your team that's going to be in the playoffs and, and be a real, you know, not a threat, but, you know, a team that, uh, unfortunately, I'm gonna have to go to this way, but a tough out at this point, based on where oh, this roster's is. out. But but that, that's kind of funny. That's kind of where we're at again. But it's it totally is, different agree. because we're young. It's not like we're with a bunch yeah. of veterans. So that's the big key here. Oh man, I didn't know if I'd ever hear that saying <laughs> again in a way that wasn't you know potentially making fun of someone. But hey, that that's where we're at now because I feel like 
we expect the Pacers to be more of like a pesky team that isn't quite there yet, but is, uh, uh, you know, making it tough. But mm. to your point on Turner being the second best player, I do think at this point, given where he's at in his career, yeah, the Pacers need him to be that second best player because if Matherin's your second best player, I, I yet right now at this time, at his like age 21 to 22 year old season, like, I don't know. I don't know if the Pacers would be there yet, but with Turner, he took a huge leap from, uh, you know, from 2021-2022 uh, to the 2022-2023 season. Offensively, I don't know if there is another next gear. Like, I, I struggle a little bit to see that, hey, he could average 20 points per game. But I do think that he could improve and be better on the defensive end. Because I've talked about it before. That wasn't vintage Miles Turner defensively last year. No. Offensively, hands down. Best season we've seen from him from an offensive standpoint. He was extremely efficient, near 55% from the field, over 37% from three. It was awesome. But I do think that he can improve and be back to where he was from a rim protection standpoint. And I think he can improve as a rebounder. Seven and a half rebounds per game last year, career high. I think he could push it to about eight and a half. I know on paper that's just one more rebound per game. But it goes a long way when you're already coming off of a career-high rebounding season. So if Turner can be between 8.5 to 9 rebounds and protect the rim and block shots like he used to, still giving us what he gave us last year offensively or even 90% of that, that's going to be huge for the Pacers because defensively is exactly where they need to improve the most. Mm-hmm. And we, we talked about those numbers. Pacers can be a top 15 to 20 defense. That would go a long way. But in most metrics, they were a bottom three defense last year. So uh, I think that's a great question, and I think Miles Turner can back it up. Yeah, and I just want to go back real quick to what you just said. It's like the Pacers' defense, right? If Turner wants to become a better defender, then I think the players around him are going to have to be better and Mm -hmm. not put so much pressure on him to be the last line of defense. And I think that if you get better perimeter defense from this team, that's going to allow Miles to maybe get that extra rebound a game yep. because he's not having to worry every five seconds about who's coming down the middle of the lane because everybody we had out there last year was like a turnstile half the time. So it just is one of those things where as a team collectively, they're going to have to get better defensively. And if they can do that, that's going to help Miles' numbers overall, I think, look a lot better. I still think he's going to be that force down low because nobody wants to drive it to the basket if they know – one of the best shot blockers in the league is right there waiting for him. We know that. Now there's not there's guys that are not afraid to challenge him, but that's just, you know, what you notice from good players that are not going to back down from any challenge, but Miles is a tough as nails kind of guy when it comes to blocking shots. So I'm not worried about that aspect of his game, but I think there are things he could improve upon defensively in terms of switching. You know, he's not great at that. I think he's good in the drop coverage. So very smart basketball player there, but he could be better and not get stood up so straight when he switches on to people because he does that a, a little, a lot of times, honestly, not a little bit, but a lot of times, and he kind of gets himself out of position. So then he's trying to recover for a chase down block and he's just not quick enough. So I think that this is a really interesting year for Miles Turner as well, because I like him a lot. I like what we saw from him last year, and I'm really hoping we get as like you said, as close as possible offensively to what we saw last year, because that was a pretty special season. It, it really was. If he could duplicate that and just, you know, improve on the defensive end, 
that that's exactly what we need. And man, that would make the Pacers a scary team because he already was healthier last year than in years past. And I feel like the Pacers played it cautiously, you know, with him last year. So if he can stay healthy, it goes a long way for this Pacers team because we talked about it. They might have depth in terms of bodies behind him, but they don't have the depth in terms of talent behind him. So mm-hmm. the Pacers very much need, you know, the best Miles Turner they could possibly get. But moving to my next question and my last question, who comes out on top at the power forward spot? That is one of the big, maybe the position battle that is up the most. Maybe it could be. Obi Toppin is a bit more seasoned and ready to explode onto the scene. Just prior to entering restricted free agency, it feels like this is his contract year. Meanwhile, Jarris Walker drafted eighth overall to be the future power forward of this team. And in the background, lurking, you know, you, there's Aaron Neesmith. All right, he's expected to play the three, but he played a lot more of power forward last year. It's good for the team. I don't think they're going to need him to play as much at the four. But if Jarrett struggles, will his development be stunted a bit, knowing that, hey, if the Pacers are playing well with OB and then there's Neesmith, who you feel is more of a potential safe and reliable guy, will will Jarrett still get those full opportunities that we need and hope that he does? Or is OB the guy that has maybe perhaps such a good season that he gets paid and viewed as the team's starting for for years to come, which maybe down the line could, you know not be the best thing for Jarris Walker. I don't know, but I think that the Pacers are going to walk out of this year saying we have our starting power forward for sure for years to come. That excites me. I just don't know exactly who it's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be the most interesting position battle at camp. And, you know, we've I've gone back and forth. I've come up with the case for um Jairus Walker and I think that the more realistic case is Obi Toppin I just feel like Obi maybe fits a little bit better with that starting lineup in terms of like playing next to Miles because I think he's got more of a three-point shot than Jairus Walker does at this point especially with Jairus having that surgery during the offseason Fachi that's a big thing to keep an eye on how does that impact how he plays overall so I'm excited to see this battle as well and I think that it's going to be Great competition. And one thing that we can look at is Chad Buchanan did say that they thought Aaron Neesmith played out of position last year. And so we both had kind of logged some minutes for him at the four. I'm curious if the Pacers are kind of not a big fan of that and would prefer to maybe go a little bit more Jordan Mora if one of these two guys doesn't step up and and really play well at that position. So that's an interesting battle to, to focus on. But I'm even curious to see how Jordan Mora does with that power forward battle as well, because while I don't think he's going to take minutes away from either of those two guys, how does he, you know, throw in his level of competition to make things a little bit more challenging for this team? No, it's completely right because he looked good last year. He looked good for us. And it's like to try and find him minutes anywhere when we did our exercise was tough. And we know Noor is just not going to, he's just, he's not going to just not see the court. Like Mm -hmm. he he needs to get minutes somewhere and he will get minutes somewhere. You just hope that it does not come at a expense of an injury or anything of that sort. So I'm excited to see, because look, if he's in a contract year and Chad mentioned, he's been doing everything right. He's been showing up everywhere, just working as hard as he can, that 
He's he's going to make it tough on, on a few players, and I really hope he gets an opportunity. But, man, the power forward spot went from being, like, empty to all of a sudden a crowded spot. And I think that's a good problem for the Pacers overall, but probably a, a tough situation for the players. Yeah, it's you feel bad because there's – good amount of talent at a lot of different positions and guys are going to be left out. And that kind of leads to my final question here, Fachi. How do veterans who had a bigger role last season handle having a smaller role this season with the young guys establishing themselves ahead of them in the rotation? I, I want to kind of elaborate on this because we've talked ad nauseum about, oh, well, Matherin start, well, Buddy Hill start. Well, if Matherin starts, then how many minutes does Buddy Heald get? If Andrew Nimhard is the true backup point guard, how many minutes does TJ McConnell get? What if Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson just completely outplay Daniel Tyson training camp and Daniel Tyson is once again on the outside looking in? It's just there's so many guys on this roster that, you know, Tyson didn't have a big role last year, but he did become the backup center when he became healthy before they started going into kind of a let's get a better draft pick. So we'll see how that plays out, but especially Buddy and, and McConnell. How do their roles play out this year, and how do they ex handle that role whenever they see younger guys jumping them in terms of the pecking order? And I know that everybody wants to win, so it's going to be hard, especially if they could probably help the team win maybe more in the moment instead of allowing young guys to develop and get that experience. Will there be some type of friction here? I don't know, but I'm curious to see how these veterans respond to maybe having a different type of role. Man, I feel like the Pacers the last few years have like been such a professional organization and how they've gone about keeping players happy, and that's been awesome. Will it last forever? I don't know. I just feel like a player like Jordan War in specific, who, you know, not a young, young guy, not an old guy, kind of that, like, I think he's around 25 years old. He's going to be like, I don't, I don't think he's going to be thrilled if he's not playing. So that might be someone that you might have to say, okay, well, we're going to have to find him home. Then you got Buddy Heald that you talked about. But he's in a contract year, the last real contract. So it depends if he's if his minutes aren't great. I don't think he's going to be thrilled. And you know that it sounds like all the players love him. It sounds like coaching staff loves him. He's got great chemistry with uh, you know Halliburton in specific, a few other guys. It feels like he's happy to be there, but the role's got to be right. I feel like TJ McConnell is the guy who's going to be 100, 110% professional and just take whatever he's given, make the most of it, and uh, you know, kind of drive that competition every day to say, hey, I'm going to make everybody around me better. But at the same point, I'm not, I'm not backing down for anybody. But that's a lot of people that you're already, you're already throwing in a guy like you know Daniel Tice who didn't play much and handled that professionally, man. But you got to hope all these people can still. 110% buy-in and say, hey, hey, we're here for a common goal because a lot of those guys that you're mentioning, some of them really haven't won before. Mm. So if the Pacers aren't winning, that could very well be a big factor for a guy like Buddy Hill to say, hey, you know what? I'm not playing that much. We're not winning. I would like to be moved elsewhere. Or McConnell to say, hey, these, these are probably my last really good years. If I'm not playing, you might have to move me. I, I really don't know but I trust that everybody will be professionals about it. I I think they will. I, I'm more worried about, I don't know if I'm worried about Buddy more than I am McConnell. He's the guy I'm worried about most. But. Yeah, because we saw he didn't like his role in Sacramento. And yeah. especially if the team takes a bit of a backseat or 
maybe if Matherin is a little bit <laughs> too much of a ball hog and not passing, because we know this team is really known for their passing and their sharing and playmaking. So I'm really curious to see how that plays out. But overall, I, I don't think that it's going to be a problem. I really don't. But I'm just curious to see how they accept it and, and what different challenges that they come up come across this season and, and how they handle them and how they can kind of still be mentors and encourage these guys. I mean, McConnell definitely was brought in here to be that from the very beginning when they drafted Aaron Holiday. Well, you know, fast forward four or five years, and now you got Andrew Nimhard kind of in the same boat, but I think Nimhard's way ahead of where Holiday was in his first year. So it's exciting. It's a good problem to have, but the good problem is that not having James uh, Johnson and not having George Hill is going to allow some other guys to step up and be leaders. And, you know, maybe Buddy Hill can step into a leadership role, maybe more than he was last year. We know that we want to see Halliburton and Miles probably step up into those roles. But yep. could a Buddy Hill do that? Could TJ McConnell take on a bigger role a- as a leader? I think he's kind of already viewed as a guy that does that. So it wouldn't surprise me if he took on even a bigger role. But he could kind of be in that George Hill spot where he's not playing every night. But he's got to be that guy that's constantly teaching these young players what it takes to win in this league. Because at the end of the day, we know TJ McConnell's a winner when it comes to laying everything out there on the line. Like that's why so many fans love him. He has no quit in him whatsoever. You're down by 20 points. McConnell's going to play the same way whether he's up 20 or down 20. And that's why it's so hard to keep him off the floor. But is that really what's the best for the team moving forward? I don't know. I'm not trying to say like it doesn't make a lot of sense to not play someone like that, but he just doesn't have all the skills that Andrew Nimhard has. So that's that to me is just such a fascinating thing to watch. It really is. And when you're talking about who could buy into that veteran role better, it definitely feels like it's McConnell. I feel like Buddy has this like loose personality where everyone's saying, you know, oh, he's the funniest guy on the team or likes to have a lot of fun. And sometimes it's hard to be that and also the leader. And I also feel like Buddy at this point still very much is like, hey, I still feel that I am one of the best shooters in the league, which he is. So Mm -hmm. to not be seeing the court as much, we don't know what his minutes are going to break down to, but it doesn't feel like it's going to be that 30 to 31 minutes per game. It feels like, you know, you had him at, when you did your exercise, I think you had him at 20, I had him at 25, and we both didn't feel great about it. So it's probably going to end up being somewhere in between. And that's a big chunk of a difference from uh, what we just saw. So especially when you're looking to get paid. So I I struggle to say that, Hey, he's going to do what's best for the team and, and, you know, just take that back seat, but that we're gonna have to wait to find out. And that everybody is why we have so many questions and we're waiting for those answers. Absolutely, Pacho. Well, go ahead and let the people know where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at setting the pace. You can find us on TikTok at setting the pace. And Alex, tell them where they could check us out on YouTube. You can go to youtube.com slash setting the pace of Pacers podcast. Our video content is there for all of you guys to check out. Um, the latest video is the Chad Buchanan interview that is up now officially. So if you haven't and you want to check that out, really would encourage you to do that. I know a lot of you guys listen to all that on the audio platform it came, because it came out a couple weeks ago. But I will just say this. The video is not my best work, but it's all right. So it's good of Chad. So check it out. I think it's fun to have him on the show. But 
With that being said, Faji, if you're excited to see all these questions answered this season, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.